It's February 19th, 2010. This is 508, a show about... It's the right time in Worcester, the right place. We're proud of our heritage, and we Today on the show, Brendan Mellican, Jen Burt, and Jeremy Shulkin. Do you guys know this song? It's, uh, it's made the rounds. I don't know the words, but... Let's finish listening to this. So, um, we wanted to talk about this because... Scott over here. Oh, and Scott Zoback. Who's actually Scott singing. Smaller and blacker than we remember him being. Hi, Scott. Hey, guys. Hey. So, uh, so today we're going to start off by talking about slogans, in part because uh, uh, Jeremy, who is the news editor at Worcester Magazine. I think the senior writer. Senior, you're the senior writer. Senior writer at Worcester Magazine. I may be accidentally promoting him here. Um, wrote, a, wrote a really nice cover story this week about uh, Worcester's marketing campaigns. Worcester's many marketing campaigns. Um, and uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this, but... Um, uh, last week on the show, Matt Feinstein performed this song that we just heard on an acoustic guitar in front of City Hall. And I had also heard this song around, performed, you know, in house shows and whatever. And um, it's interesting to me because uh, this is, I guess, an old ad. This is an old marketing campaign from 2001 mm -hmm. called Right Place, Right Time. Um, very little uh, evidence of this on the web that this ever existed. Um, it reminded me that, that there was a line in Jeremy's article, which was, uh, he said, even the popular Worcester Paris of the 80s slogan on T-shirts around the city started out as an official motto, although it was ridiculed so much it fell out of favor, only to be revived by the city's underground arts scene. And I feel like this Right Place, Right Time song is also in a similar way, kept alive, because Matt learned this song through the oral tradition. <laughs> Matt had never... <laughs> and Matt thinks that he learned the song from someone who also learned it by... Matt had never heard this song before. But Matt, he thinks he may have also been passed down to him from, from somebody who learned about it from somebody who had actually heard the original marketing campaign. I think that uh, the best thing that Worcester has going for in terms of marketing campaigns is its underground scene. I don't <laughs> see why they shouldn't just lease it out to <laughs> places like the Collective <laughs> and, and let them carry it, because they, they do a much better job, I think. I mean, like an article said, the city doesn't have a marketing budget, so I don't know if that song came out of when the city did have a marketing budget, um, or if it was, and then it was scrapped if, after 2001, um, or if it was a private company or, or whatever, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the underground scene should continue to, to sloganize and, <laughs> and, you know, bring up all these old failed campaigns and, and make them something interesting. Well, you know, there's even, I mean, there's like, uh, there's actually legends about this Right Place, Right Time song, which is, again, why I think it's a, maybe an appropriate, uh, interesting case that uh, um, Matt had heard that this was a song which had been, somebody was shopping around New England and eventually gave Worcester a discount on the song. <laughs> but then somebody else, but then Brendan had thought that maybe this was written by Nat Needle. I, yeah, I, I, I'm probably <laughs> totally wrong. It just, I, I, for some reason, I, I, can, I can in my head picture him singing it at one point in time, which doesn't mean he had anything to do with it. It just means that he might be the one who taught uh, Matt Feinstein. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably just has you know, been circulated in that one small group and it's the only place I've ever heard it. Yes, I've definitely heard children's groups sing it before, though, in the past, wow. uh, going back towards at, at the beginning of the decade, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's all a blur. I mean, who knows where this thing actually came from? It's, it's a terrible song. It's a... Uh, 
Well, I hope that we're not. If Matt wrote this, I hope we're not insulting insulting him. We have a phone call to him. He could call any minute now and confirm <laughs> or deny this rumor. I kind of hope that it was someone else who was just shopping it around, and that in the music there's just a blank, like a skit where they <laughs> yeah. where they say Worcester, and it could be filled in with like New Haven, like those <laughs> <or, laughs> you know, you're a kid, yeah. where you yeah. buy the book off the shelf, and right? Your name like whoever it. buys yeah. the song gets it's to get their it's name. It's a Mad Lib song. <laughs> well, the only the, the three the the only three specific things mentioned in the song that are Worcester is Elm Park. Uh, Mechanics Hall and Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> so this this to me indicates that this was not written by Nat because Nat is a very clever wordsmith right, and right. and I feel like he would overload it with with insider references. Mm-hmm. First of all, it would all be about rhyming things with the word Wista mm-hmm. rather than Wister. <laughs> anyway, but you know, anyway. So there you go. It could be maybe maybe Nat knew how to. Uh, sell a song and made it, you know, blanded it down a tad. It'd be great to find out that there's probably like 50 second-tier mid-sized cities out there all using the same song <laughs> and, so, and so proud that it's their anthem, right? They're singing it in front of their, before their minor league baseball games and whatnot. And yes. Yeah, we're just part of like a big pyramid scheme of, uh, of <laughs> song marketing. It could be. It could be. Well, and I also wanted to, to point out a, a, a slogan that Bruce Russell and I, a poster that Bruce Russell and I made a few years ago that we're both very proud of, the Worcester, this city should be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still my favorite Worcester marketing slogan. You don't have a song for that one yet, though? What? You don't have a song for that one? We don't, we don't have a song. Maybe we should write one. I, I remember, and I, I, I asked Bruce uh, last year, I said, Bruce, do you still think this city should be destroyed? And he said, yes. And I said, are you going to destroy it? And he said, they're doing a great job. <laughs> so, um... I actually, uh, so I wanted to talk to both of our uh, both of our, uh, our uh, Worcester Mag guys here, um, Scott Zobeck, ex of Worcester Magazine. But Scott, now Scott, you a few years ago did a uh, a no slogan day because there were so many because the slogan the slogan problem had become so intense, and it, I guess it's only intensified since then. Yeah, and you know before before I say that, I do have to say actually I got I got to slightly correct something Jeremy wrote this week that Paris in the '80s, my understanding, was never actually an official. Um, official slogan, but perhaps something that, at the time, uh, Joe Early Sr. made a comment that one day, Worcester, uh, what, what does Paris have that Worcester doesn't? Something to that effect. And it, it was so ludicrous immediately that it, it immediately became kind of an underground thing. Uh-huh. Um, that, that's at least the, the story, but you know what? Either way, it's apocryphal, and it's a great, uh, a great story. <laughs> I, think, I think what happened a few years ago, we, we ran a cover story I mean, heck, in my four years there, we ran about three different stories, cover stories on selling Worcester and, and the different efforts to sell Worcester. And, and the thing that was starting to get to me, and I think it was April of 07 or so, uh, the thing that was starting, maybe maybe 08, um, that, was, that was getting to me is, we have too many damn slogans. And and every year, it seems someone else, it's, you know, Worcester, heart of the Commonwealth, Worcester, right place, right time in 2001. Uh, you know, Worcester moving in the right direction, uh, which which then then Mayor Tony Luke thought was too optimistic, and uh, <laughs> you know, something like Worcester moving forward. I don't know. She, and she tweeted it a little bit. And every six months, it seemed to be a new slogan. And and Duncan Arsenal and and Brendan and me just got so frustrated that we all declared no slogan day. And we had a, a raging party down at the dive bar and uh, and celebrated having no slogans for one day. For one day, which.
ridiculous uh, ludicrous thing. It was New Haven, actually. And they thought it was absolutely insane. New Haven, New England's rising star. How, how stupid is that? But it also worked outside for people for people visiting the city or, or for outside people. A, a marketing campaign isn't designed for uh, the people who are already there. In a way, they should shield us from these silly slogans and, and just market them to people in Michigan. I wonder, I wonder, unless you have a... Well, the, the Paris of the 80s thing, Scott, that I, that I was finding was um, Connie actually thought that it, Connie Luke's thought that it was official, and so there was, I found an article from the Worcester Phoenix from 1990, which was interviewing uh, the city's new marketing person, and I forget her name, it was some woman, um, oh, her last name was Black, I think, um, and it seemed to be either official, the wording was funny, but it was either an official slogan or as official as it gets without it actually being unofficial slogan. So I'm not sure where the gray area is, but but yeah, that, that what Scott was talking about with all the slogans, that was just a quick search back on our Wisteria blog and all those slogans that Scott dra- uh, dredged up a couple years ago, or last year, was the inspiration for the for the intro to this article. So thanks, Scott. It, it, might, just, it might just be one of those where the boundary between reality and, and legend is uh, so blurry. <laughs> I, love the, I love the fact that... I love the... I love the fact that we have so many slogans that some of them have actually passed into legend. <laughs> um, I also, since since you're no slogan day, Worcester, who knew? Maybe the best of them all. Um, I guess I wanted to say, uh, or I wanted to ask you, I wanted to mention one thing and ask you uh, one thing, Jeremy. Um, I want to I want to link to the great uh, four lease video, which was made in. Have you seen this video? No. This is a video that was made in the 90s. It was it was sort of bragging on the great four lease corporation and how it was taking over the city of Worcester. <laughs> you would see the four lease signs everywhere, That's and, great. It, and it's and it, well and it, and it starts off just by saying Worcester, Paris of the 80s, Port-au-Prince of the 90s, <laughs> <laughs> which is very good. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jeremy. So I thought that this was a, I thought that this was a fine a fine job, and it seems to me like it would be a in some ways a tricky reporting assignment because you're kind of calling people up and saying I'm writing an article about a problem that the city has and because I'm talking to you you're part of this problem. <laughs> Tell yeah. me about this problem. Uh, <laughs> that was the thing and, and I think that that was my frustration writing it was at the end everything I kind of built up to it's like a, a very mini it's like it's like you got an M80 and then it, it sets off a bang like a whippersnapper. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's true, and each marketing group in the city, and some of these places probably wouldn't, so on some cases they would say they're a marketing group, and in others they would say they weren't, like the WBDC. In some cases might refer to itself as a marketing group, but then if you peg them on it, they might say, no, no, we only develop our own projects in the city. So there's there's more of this gray area that we were talking about before. Um, but and, and each of them has had their success, but you've got to wonder, with, with all this intermingling and so many of the same people making the same decisions, but for groups that want different things, clearly, there's got to be too much mm. of a, either too many cooks in the kitchen or too much give and take, I guess, or something. Um, and it was hard. Some people would only speak off the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Connie was really the only one who would go on record as kind of agreeing that maybe there needs to be a focused central effort. And I don't think that, that that's a slight to any of those other groups. I mean, the city should market itself. That's, that's what the, the city knows itself the best, and mm-hmm. the city has more of an overall sense of what they want to achieve, so. Yeah. Any other comments on this issue, this important issue? 
I, I mean, it's it's. I think Scott said it best too. You know, when it, when it comes to things like slogans and whatnot, I mean, that's not what a city needs. I mean, when I think of slogans, I think of militant nationalist movements. Um, yeah, that's it's it's not really healthy for a city internally to get wrapped up in in what it believes it is. Like, how many New York like born and bred New Yorkers do you knew, know that refer to the, like the Big Apple and you know the city that never sleeps and whatnot? Those are those are tourist slogans, right? I mean, they're 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 only useful if you're if you're pushing them on outsiders trying to bring them in, show them what a, what a great thing you have going on. Whereas like songs like the one we played earlier seems more focused on uh, the the internal the people already in the city, which misses the point entirely. Worcester, like if, don't give up on it. People. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if you're trying to tell me what's so great about Worcester, then either you're doing it horribly wrong or you're doing it horribly wrong. You know, it's it's there's just no no reason why you'd be uh, pushing an ideology on the people who are already here. We know what to think about Worcester. We're, we're here, right? uh, but there's never uh, seemed to be a really good uh, movement to get that message outside at, at at very targeted granular groups of people who we would like to bring into the city. Well, there you go. I'm playing, playing the devil's advocate there, Brendan. You know, I hear on the radio sometimes uh, advertisements from, from out of state, and I, I bet those communities or those states don't exactly sit there and go, you know, they don't, the, the citizens don't know that stuff's going on sometimes. And, and frankly, I don't know what our... Yeah, I don't either. I, 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 going out of state. I hope we're using it to market to people out of the area, and if we're not, we're not doing it right. Yeah, I only I only base my 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 what what I said on the fact that I've yet to, in 34 years I've yet to run into a complete stranger who was like walking around saying, "Hey, I just showed up because of this great radio spot I heard, you know, <laughs> up, you know, out, out in Michigan or or what have you." I just I've I've, I've met very few people who were turned on to the existence of Worcester um, by uh, a city-led effort or a municipal effort. I've, I've met plenty of people who came in because of the schools, um, you know, for, for various businesses, which, you know, I think points to the successes within, like, the college consortium or private industry in terms of marketing to people, but I haven't actually seen any anything come from a municipal-led effort that has drawn a lot of new blood into the city. Tim McGorthy, who's the city's economic director, or development director, was saying that they, the city does do some radio spots. Um, I don't know how frequent they are now, especially since there's no marketing budget anymore. And if they were anything like that song that was, <laughs> if that was played on the radio, then then that probably would not work to attract yeah. people to Worcester. But uh, apparently there there is some sort of outside marketing campaign, mm. although I think it relied a lot on state grants, mm -hmm. um, which have been slashed recently. Right. So right. there's not too much of that going on. Awesome. Well, I want to talk to Jen here about unionizing at Clark. First, I want to bring up a couple of small, uh, quick items. First of all, this sweet shirt that I'm wearing. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, the, the mayor and his wife are adopting an Ethiopian, two Ethiopian twins. And this shirt was given me for Christmas by an Ethiopian friend of mine, apparently a East African design, which is now becoming popular in West Africa. And this is the West African version of it. My friend, very snappy dresser. So I just want to, I, have n I really have no other excuse to wear this shirt <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't really celebrate my roots or anything. But I thought I would wear it today on the show. Um, I attempted to get a, uh, I should mention also for people who are excited about the Ethiopian Renaissance in Worcester, that you can buy Ethiopian flatbread at Fresh Farm Supermarket across the, which is across the street from Lincoln Plaza by the uh, auto zone there. Eritrean uh, family runs the place, and so they Eritrea, Ethiopia, kind of the same deal. So they have the they have the uh, injera there and some other things. If you're interested in experimenting with Ethiopian food, um, I attempted to get someone uh, who's an excellent Ethiopian cook to cater the podcast today, <laughs> and she thought that that was a rather stupid idea. <laughs> um, uh, this weekend, a lot of stuff: the beard competition, dive bar. Uh, uh, Saturday night, I think it starts at 6, uh, raising money for the Worcester Food Bank. 
Um, people are going to have all sorts of outrageous large beards such as this. I, a lot of the beard is hidden behind my head. You can't even see it because I don't want to tip people off to how much of a beard I have. Uh, also, there's a uh, the Distant Castle anniversary party is Saturday. If you know what that is, then you know what that is. The Q is just trying. The Q Coffee House is relaunching as an arts organization, and they're uh, having a fundraiser this Saturday. Also, there's probably a, a ton of other things going on this weekend. Um, and Chalk Chop Four Saturday night for Haiti. Oh, really? Yes. What time does that start? Uh, that is seven o'clock doors, eight o'clock presentations at Fifty Five Pearl. At Fifty Five Pearl. Wow. So there is a ton of stuff going on. There's like five things going on uh, Saturday night. Enjoy it, people. Um, Jen Burt, my, right. my soul sister. <laughs> what are we talking about this morning? All right, so there's this group organizing at Clark called Clark Unite mm -hmm. of students, alumni, some faculty and staff working with the workers that um, are subcontracted by Sodexo Inc., which is the food service. Okay, cool. Uh, they do all the cafeteria, the bistro, mm -hmm. any food you eat at Clark's probably from them. And these guys are currently not unionized, these Sodexo guys? No. They're, yeah. And so the goal is to get them unionized or yeah. other concessions? Oh, uh, there's a couple goals. Uh, and the important thing is it's students that are working with the workers. So uh, SAIU uh, 615 came to some students and said, this is what's happening. The workers are interested in unionizing and we need student support. Um, and so we're trying to get card check, um, and which is basically means that every worker that wants a union signs a card saying that they want a union. Um, and it's just a method um, instead of like secret ballots or something like that okay. uh, in order to get the company to recognize the union. Is this an easier way to unionize? Um, it seems like it is in the environment, the union environment that we have today, which you've, we've seen a lot of Clark of repression already. Um, there's been some unfair labor practices that they're already filing with the National Labor Review Board. Uh, and so, um, are, and are, so are you guys pressuring Sodexo or are you guys pressuring the administration? It's a little bit of both because I, Sodexo is like a huge international corporation. They're based out of France. Um, and so our thinking is that we're not going to be able to get in touch with the people that make these decisions um, for Sodexo. But we can get in touch with our administration and say, look, you know, you control this contract. And it's a huge contract. It's a $3.5 million contract. Okay. And so how can we influence? And also to change the larger economic justice kind of environment at Clark and educate people of about unions and about uh, just what's happening. So, What's been the response from students and alumni so far? It's actually been a very good response. It's been probably one of the most successful organizing campaigns I've ever seen at Clark. I've been uh, a part of a lot of campaigns that, you know, were the same, like 20 people standing out there in Red Square being like, all right, you know, with their signs, and nothing really came of it. But this mm. was... I mean, we had an action on um, the beginning of the week where we went in and wore purple shirts and ate in the cafeteria, and there were like 30-something people for lunch and like 70 people for dinner. Okay. Which, uh, and this is still like pretty early in the campaign, um, so that was a pretty good turnout. And we're tr we're, tr we're shooting to get we have a petition right now um, 
try to get 900 signatures by the beginning of March. And I think it seems like a doable goal, which it's been, people are very positive about it. People are very, didn't know that the workers didn't know this was happening. And Hmm. any comments from the other people? No comments. No Um, comments. (laughs) Jen, do you know, because Sodexo is new-ish. Uh, what, well, who was it before? I forget. It was, um, was it Bon Appetit. Oh, yeah. Did, yeah. Well, did they have uh, unionized workers? No. They didn't either? No. And I was, that was one of the things. Um, I was part of the contract negotiation, like one of the student reps for the contact, contract negotiations. And um, I remember asking about unions and how the workers were going to be treated then. And it was just kind of like, well... You know, brought these news articles, <laughs> and everyone's like, well, you know, they, they got good, good deal. They get, you know, cho- good chocolate-covered strawberries. <laughs> that was, like, really sold some of the faculty. Um, <laughs> and some of the, like, students that just showed up. Um, was that good, good, good chocolate-covered strawberries? I've only seen them once since we signed the contract two and a half years ago. But <laughs> Broken promises. Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks, Jen. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get uh, is, is is should we get Ryan Smith on the show? Yeah, should get right. Ryan. we're having a rally the twenty eighth, so, and that's trying to get more people in the community out, um, not just Clark students, but alumni and some of the workers are going to be there. Um, it's going to be across the street in Crystal Park, and probably some local politicians might join us, and it'll be a big event. So, for that. Awesome. Awesome. We're having some child care issues in the background <laughs> of the show here. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, two articles in today's paper, maybe, unless there's other things that people want to talk about. We have plenty of time. Um, one <laughs> is that day. one is that so so there's been this Venerini Academy story going on, and maybe you can, as a news professional, maybe you can correct me, Jeremy. The idea there's this like, is this a Catholic school? I think it is. Um, I don't know too much about it, but our editor Jim Keogh was saying that it's uh yeah it's a I think it's a private Catholic school. It's run okay. by a bunch of nuns, and somehow they got into this contract with uh with some well some workers um because some donor somewhere was saying we've got all this millions of dollars we're gonna give the school. Right. There was so there's this idea that they that they thought that they were gonna get 3.5 million dollars from an anonymous donor. Mm-hmm. The money hasn't come through yet. They had they were doing this big expansion. All the contractors are now suing them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, Brendan, you were saying that this was a story that you were having a hard time <laughs> keeping your eyes straight reading. Yeah, I've been glossing over quite a bit every time <coughs> yeah. I'm trying to pick it up. But, it, you know, I mean, it's it's significant, mostly. I mean, the school looks like it's, it's you know, having it's going to have a very tough road ahead of it. Uh, but, it, you know, it, what's the deal now with the lawsuits? I mean, it seems like every contractor that they've dealt with is now li- getting in line, backing up the lawsuits more as a formality because, you know, they, there's nothing else that they have to do. Yeah, well, so. I mention it today because the great Jackie Reese of the Telegram and Gazette <laughs> has written a typically awesome story called Lady History, A Trail of Lies. <laughs> and it's talking about how their fundraiser, uh, who has a very sketchy background with at least one of his former employers calling him a chronic liar on the record. Um, is This is like maybe where this mysterious $3.5 million comes from, is basically some guy doing something... Uh, questionable. And th- this actually struck me because I, you know, have a little bit of a background in sales and I definitely worked with people who I thought were very legit individuals who uh, got fired for misstating sales. And it just remember that there was I, I would, it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who knows this guy to find out like is this guy like a sociopath 
or is he just like um i mean there, you have to sort of keep this positive mental attitude and like the people who i knew who got fired like they got fired because they you know they had a strong incentive to, like this quarter to make such an amount of sales and if you were like well there's a five million dollar sale coming around the corner and i'll just put it on this quarter's thing and like save my bacon for this quarter and it'll be next quarter and the boss will be like, what's the deal with this? And you'll be like, I just made a $5 million sale. And the boss will be like, fine, I'm willing to let that slide because money is money. Um, I don't know. It would be interesting to find out. I just That just touched that part of me, just reminded me of that thing. <laughs> I never worked in a high-pressure enough sales environment that I was ever even ever even remotely. I, wor like, I worked with that guy, but I was never re remotely tempted to <laughs> do anything like that because nobody cared how much how many sales I was involved with, really. Um, uh, another article in the TNG, this is actually an AP article I just thought was interesting. It's called Sales Decline at Walmart. Um, I just wanted to contrast this with the New York Times. Scott, you can hang up if you <laughs> want to hear about this. Um, I just wanted to contrast this with the New York Times headline on their own article, which was Profits r Profit Rises at Walmart, but Outlook is Clouded. That it's an interesting story of um, the AP version of this is terrible. I guess I just wanted to point out that the AP version of this story is terrible. The New York Times version of the story is good. That it's sort of a complicated situation where they made record profits, and yet their sales are declining. And the AP story says that the reason is because of price-cutting competitors luring away bargain hunters. Not having a lot of evidence for this in the article, Walmart saying that this is because... Um, the prices of food and consumer goods is falling. So you could, for example, sell the same number of loaves of bread and DVD players and make less money at it. Though I guess maybe more more profit at it. So it's an interesting story. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting. Uh, that was that was the, other, the only other story in the scene that caught my eye. And then I read their version and I was like, you this makes no sense. You think if the Telegram was going to put that in there, they would spit, you know, adjust the headline to make it sound like Walmart coming to Worcester is what actually destroyed the corporation. <laughs> they, the store is just about to open and suddenly profits tank. It's Walmart's going out of business. Now. Welcome like, to Worcester. Yeah, I just thought Walmart was supposedly recession proof and all yeah. that yeah. Kind of deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, well. Who knows? This they were not Worcester proof. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit. It's a little bit over my head because it involves deflation a lot, which is something that I don't really. Oh. 100% get all the impact. I don't know much about it either, but in the <laughs> article I wrote uh, last week about schools, that's that's kind of the deal with the school, the WPS school budget is. Okay. Uh, I guess maybe it could be kind of along the same lines, um, but I'm not positive. But uh, basically, the schools, in terms of state aid, the school district's getting what's called foundation and. Uh, mm -hmm. The, that's the that's the state saying we're going to give you as much as you need to work functionally as a school district. So that's great. Except with deflation, they they added in deflation rather than inflation because they're saying that the cost of running these things costs less now than it did last year or two years mm -hmm. ago. So it might be a kind of similar thing where just costs have gone down. Yeah. So yeah. it c takes less money to. And I'm just talking sure, in circles, sure. but yes. Well, and, and I think you see this in the. Uh, I mean, you see. I think you see this in a lot of parts of the economy that are sort of being composted by the digital world. It's just interesting to see this happen in like food and uh, apparently Mini other blinds. budget things. Mini blinds. Mini blinds and tube socks. Um, I don't know. We could wrap up. We have three minutes left in the show if we want to talk about something else. What would you like to talk about? I've talked the whole episode. Yep. <laughs> I, you could ask Oliver who actually ended up winning uh, between the Great White Shark and the. Uh, no, mm -hmm. you don't want to. Yeah, I think everyone's I'm interested. Yeah. You don't know who won. He didn't finish yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thanks for being on the show. Scott Zoback via the telephone. Thank you, sir. Uh, currently working for Harriet Chandler's office as a PR guy, I guess. Brendan Melican, brendanmelican.com, Rosen's Roundtable, WTAG, All Media. 
Jen Burke, the Artichoke Food Co-op, <laughs> other righteous things. Jeremy Shulkin, <laughs> senior writer for Worcester Magazine. Thanks for being on the show, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for watching, and we'll see everyone next time.